talk about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way it might be really good. Wow. I've been shaking, I've been bending backwards till I'm broke. Watching all these dreams go up in smoke. Let beauty come to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This time we're stepping outside the Marvel Cinematic Universe and into the multiverse for a look at Deadpool 2, part of 20th Century Fox's series of films based on the X-Men, originally released in May 2018. Technically this places it between Avengers Infinity War and Season 2 of Luke Cage and, you guessed it, there's absolutely no crossover with either of them. Well, for now anyway. I'm Tim Worthington and we'll be finding out what I thought of Deadpool 2 shortly. Meanwhile, joining me to give his thoughts on Deadpool 2 is podcaster Phil Catterall. Phil, where can people find you? You can find me on the Don't Let's Charts podcast, which is on Twitter and over on anchor.fm. That's where we keep that. Okay, so before we go any further, Phil, what happens in Deadpool 2? Between the end of Deadpool 1 and the start of this, Wade Wilson has been travelling the world as an unangsty Hawkeye from Endgame, killing organised crime people. He seems to be specifically focusing on sex traffickers, according to everything that, that we see in this. We get a fun montage of him doing that. He then fails to get one of his targets, who then accidentally kills his girlfriend. He then spirals into depression, attempts to kill himself with explosives, and is bagged up up and taken to the X-Mansion by Colossus, a character that I'm really surprised has only ever shown up in the Deadpool films and not actually in any of the X-Men films. I mean, he does, he does briefly in one of them, I think, but he's you know never in a major role, despite the fact that at the height of the X-Men's popularity, he was in the lineup. But anyway, he recovers and goes on a mission with the X-Men to apprehend a young mutant who's calling himself Firefist, an orphanage owned by the Essex Corporation, which is one one of many, many Fox references to Mr. Sinister that have never and will never pay off. We are never going to see that character ever at all. He realises that Firefist was being abused by the staff at the orphanage and shoots one of them in the head. But the other one, played by Eddie Marsan, gets away to be a horrible bastard further down the line. He then gets taken into custody for doing a murder, fitted with a power suppressing collar and dumped into a prison for mutant criminals called the Icebox, where I checked I checked to see if there was, you know, any notable mutant cameos in this, and it's literally just Black Tom Cassidy. That's the only one that's like listed anywhere. No one has identified any of the other characters in it as being anyone notable. While this is going on, Cable, played by Josh Brolin, travels back in time to kill Firefist because it turns out further down the line that he's responsible for killing Cable's family. So that's fun. This film does sometimes have a tone problem, I think it has to be said, because it bounces between Teehee, funny murders and child abuse and 
family murder and then back to Teehee funny murders. Anyway, Cable shows up at the prison, attacks Russell, Wade's collar gets broken and tries to defend him, including a particularly gross bit where he tries to throttle Cable with his own broken arm, which uh, <laughs> it's, it's a good effects piece. And there's some good acting from Reynolds where he's trying to get up at one point, but without using his flopping arm. I quite like that Deadpool's whole thing is not that... I mean, he is skilled, don't get me wrong, but quite a lot of his stuff just revolves around the fact that it doesn't matter if he gets hurt. There's a, quite a few sequences where it's like, that must be really painful. Anyway, Wade and Cable hurl themselves out of the prison. Russell later escapes... Well, he doesn't escape, he's being transported and he's made friends with Juggernaut, who is also voiced by Ryan Reynolds... And it's completely CGI. Yeah, I mean, deservedly so, because the last time they tried to put the Juggernaut on screen, we got Vinnie Jones, who has many strengths as an actor, but he's not right for the Juggernaut. (laughs) He's not. The Juggernaut is supposed to be a Juggernaut, and Vinnie Jones is not. He's not. He's just not. It was a terrible idea. That whole film's a terrible idea. So Deadpool puts together a team in a sequence that is... I love the joke of putting together a team and then having them immediately wiped out. It's a joke that this film does. It's a joke that MacGruber does. There's a few films where they do the whole I'm putting a team together montage and then just undercut it. I think this one does it slightly better than MacGruber because they all die in entertaining ways. Two of them survive. So Deadpool and Domino, played by Zazie Beats, who is the coolest person in this film without question so they get into the transport that is transporting all the prisoners end up fighting cable on there then Firefist frees the juggernaut and he destroys the convoy pulls deadpool in half which is very entertaining then they escape as well we then get a scene where deadpool is regrowing his legs which is i don't know what the future of this series is within the marvel cinematic universe not because of all the violence necessarily but because of stuff like this which is it's just weird it's just weird (laughs) i like it but it's weird but anyway cable agrees to work with them to stop russell from getting his first kill which is what sets him off down that path to becoming a serial killer and burning cable's family alive they go to the orphanage have a big fight with the juggernaut (laughs) Deadpool gets a big chunk of fence through his head so he's clearly unable to think properly and then colossus shows up and has a as the film describes it a big cgi fight with the juggernaut the only bit where the CGI in this film really faltered a bit for me is as Colossus and Deadpool are having the conversation in the background you can see Cable going up and trying to have a fight with Juggernaut and it's all a little bit low resolution back there while this is going on it's like you didn't need to put that in you could have just done a different angle for this and not put that there because it looks a bit cheap which it can't be because they did spend quite a lot of money on this film but that bit looks a bit cheap Deadpool tries to calm Firefist down Cable shoots him but Deadpool jumps in front of the bullet but he's wearing one of the power deactivating collars because he was trying to calm Firefist down which means that he dies eventually eventually he dies after giving possibly the longest oh no I'm dying speech outside of an opera Firefist doesn't kill the headmaster so Cable's family now survives and then Cable instead of using the one remaining charge on his time travel device to get back to his family goes back a few minutes puts a little skee-ball token that Wade had been keeping from Vanessa in front of his heart so that when he takes the bullet he doesn't die and Russell still has 
causes a change of heart and then the headmaster gets run over by Depinder, the taxi driver from the previous <laughs> film, who has been desperately trying to be a hero the entire time, right up until a slightly earlier Juggernaut said he was going to jam him up cable <laughs> and then ran away. Well, that summary has basically underlined something I was going to say about this, which is it's impossible with this film to explain the plot in two or three lines like we would normally do in one of these, which is one of the reasons why it kind of, as you say, it will be problematic fitting these in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which apparently they're going to do. But that does bring me round to what was going to be my second question, which I think you've kind of answered as well. Phil, how much did you know about Deadpool before you saw this film? (laughs) (laughs) The first thing that I got into with comics was the X-Men. I watched the 90s cartoon a lot, which meant that it was like my natural entry point. So I started off with Ultimate X-Men, which was the early 2000s Marvel attempt to sort of reboot their entire continuity into something that it could sell to people that hadn't read all the other stuff. But then I also went and read the other stuff because there's only so much Mark Miller you can put up with before you have to read something that's not him. So I've I've read all of the Chris Claremont stuff back from the 70s onwards. I've read the New Mutants before they were X-Force. Then I've read the X-Force stuff. So yeah, I knew enough that I knew what was going on with most of this. I knew enough to get the jokes that they threw out about. So when there's a point where Deadpool is saying how ridiculous it is that Domino's superpower is that she's lucky, who came up with that? Some sort of idiot artist that can't even draw feet. That's Rob Liefeld who created Deadpool. (laughs) I can't remember if he created Cable. I think he did. But, you know, X-Force was a Rob Liefeld thing at the point in the 90s where everyone wanted gritty, dark, everyone's a cyborg with names like, you know, Overkill and Smash Hands and Punch Borg. I knew a fair bit uh, (laughs) about all of these characters. And I'd read a fair bit of Deadpool and Agent X and all of the sort of stuff that this and the original Deadpool pull quite heavily from. Yeah. Well, my background with Deadpool is kind of interesting because like everyone else, I was obsessed with the X-Men when I first discovered them, which was would have been around the early 80s when the current ones being reprinted in the UK Mighty World of Marvel compilation comic, but also the originals in the 60s were a backup strip in the UK Spider-Man. And so I was experiencing both of these great eras at once. As time went on, I don't know if it was me or they actually did go in this direction, but I felt the X-Men became basically a bit kind of, ah, like they got so smug and superior. I think what really, really started to put me off them was in Secret Wars, the big team-up comic in the mid-80s, where they declared themselves above all this, you know, this important fight for reality. They swan off not getting involved. And I was like, oh, I wanted the X-Men to become involved in this. (laughs) And then a bit later, Deadpool starts messing through his fourth wall breaking and the just nonsense message the whole X-Men thing makes it that bit much less pompous and then later they did Deadpool's Secret Wars which is a series predicated on the idea that Deadpool had been in Secret Wars and of course so much chaos and nonsense that it'd be basically mind wiped out of history <laughs> it's all kinds of things like there were Secret Wars toys that had kind of they called them decoding shields that were like those you know those toys where they're refractive and you turn them and yeah, one yeah. picture turns into another Deadpool discovered what they were for in the context of secret wars 
he's an important character to me because he got that team back on track in a way and kind of did it with the films as well because I was never mad on the actual X-Men films I thought they were often a bit too straight-faced and then suddenly he's in it messing things up again and you know just towards the end of the franchise but yeah that really worked for me I think what you've got to bear in mind with the X-Men is they went from when they originally debuted in the 60s and no one was that bothered and they kind of were sort of left fallow for a bit and then they were rebooted basically with giant size X-Men 1 and well, not rebooted but you know it was a continuation and then all the Chris Claremont stuff and they went from being a sort of an they're also here property in the 60s to by the you know late 70s early 80s into the 90s they were the big Marvel book which is why they were the first one that got sold off why they were the first one that really got a proper film I know there's been other films based on Marvel properties before that I know I've seen The Punisher and Captain and about three Captain Americas there's only about two the one with Red Brown and God, God who did that there's one with Ned Beatty and he's not Captain America but you know he's in it they were the big deal which is why it was all serious and grimdark but then in the sort of the late 90s they started spinning more and more stuff off from it Deadpool was one of those there was Ecstatics there was about three million X books by the early 2000s and you'd have at least you know one big event a year that was just the X-Men these days Marvel Comics events are everything in the Marvel Universe but you used to just get X-Men based events that crossed all the X-Men books over in the 80s and the 90s they were a big deal they were quite serious and po-faced a lot of the time because they've always been a really ropey analogy for racism and civil rights in general which doesn't work for a number of reasons i think the main problem and this is not an original thought that i have had but we might as well put it out there using the x-men as an analogy for you know people that are downtrodden and, and civil rights and stuff doesn't work because they have powers that make them dangerous <laughs> They're treated differently, not just arbitrarily, not out of systemic structural problems with society, but because some of them can just explode, and that is bad. Obviously not at all like the television series Heroes there, but speaking <laughs> of things with the trouble production history, we should get a couple of things out of the way about this. One is that TJ Miller, who... Who is played, awful. Yes, yeah, plays Deadpool's best mate Weasel. Now, none of this has gone to trial, none of it has been proved. We do have to to say that I assume for legal reasons but he's had a number sure. of bizarre allegations against him some serious one of him apparently making a bomb threat as a joke yeah. which I think he's more or less admitted to and there were a lot of calls for him to be removed from the movie but he wasn't no and there's plenty of people that have worked with him on other productions that have said he's dreadful I have no trouble believing that he called in a bomb threat obviously yes we need to wait for that to go to trial and everything but he plays in almost everything he's in a horrible nasty piece of shit who will immediately turn on people as soon as the opportunity arises which he does here and he's very very good at it so let's just go with that <laughs> and, and move on from there
Well, the other thing is, which I know is a big issue that you've got with this film, and a lot of people have, is that it all stems from the fact that the original director who directed the first one, Tim Miller, now, he has dismissed, but not quite dismissed the story, as has Ryan Reynolds. They've kind of played it down without actually saying that didn't happen. But the story is he was removed from the film after clashing with Ryan Reynolds about their vision for it going forwards. I Mm -hmm. think he wanted to make it a bit more of a polished film and not retain the tone of the original, but the only detail that's emerged about what would have been substantially different between their version of the film, Tim Miller, by the way, is no relation to TJ Miller, we should say that, <laughs> but that he wanted Vanessa, Deadpool's other half, to become copycat like in the comics. Right. And that leads on to what happens to her, which presumably would not have happened if she become copycat. No. And this is an issue a lot of people have with Deadpool too. I mean, I, so to be clear up front, I like this film in general. I think this is a fun film that does lots of entertaining things and generally doesn't take itself too seriously which is exactly what I wanted out of this however you cannot make a film that trades so heavily on knowing about comics and knowing about the universe that these things inhabit and then go ahead and fridge your female lead in the first five minutes of the film using that to give Deadpool his motivation for the rest of the film is a comic trope that has been beaten to death the term fridging was even coined by someone who wrote some of the most popular Deadpool books I don't think you can get away as the writers attempt to do with going oh we've not even heard of that well then you've not read the source material you've not read any of the comics you've not read any of the words of the person that wrote the version of the character that you're making use of because this is like Gail Simone's Deadpool in many ways it's certainly not the original Rob Liefeld version who was a humorless boring prick so I understand that many people involved with the production have said no no that's not what happened it is if you watch it if you if you watch it that's what happens so whether it was intentional or not that's in the film which is unfortunate and it does make you realize that they don't actually do that in the marvel cinematic universe at all i mean the no. only occasion they're going to go off the top of my head of somebody having that as a motivation luke cage's wife that is long in the past and while it informs what happens to him it's not really he's not angry at the world because if anything he's gone the other way he's become non-angry at the world the other is in Avengers Infinity War when obviously Thanos has well killed Gamora but she is no longer dead but the Star-Lord reacts to that and messes everything up it is not a heroic thing it is the stupidest thing (laughs) that anyone does across those two films yes in this as well they do it twice they do it twice (laughs) so Cable's introduction is my wife and child have been murdered Deadpool's driving thing for his is my wife has been murdered doing it twice in the same film and then claiming you've not heard what it is it's absolutely ropey at best now in both cases it is undone by the end of the film however one of those requires a mid-credit sequence which you could argue is not technically in the film you know that's I think we should probably talk about that shouldn't we the mid-credit stuff yes it's interesting because it tramples on a couple of other franchises in places i mean deservedly in most cases so just to describe what happens two characters that we've not mentioned up until now even though i like them and they're great negasonic teenage warhead from the original film and her girlfriend yukio fix cable's time traveling device deadpool then takes it and goes back to save vanessa in the first place 
which is, you know, okay, fine. You've undone what happened at the start of the film. He saves one member of (laughs) X-Force. Not all of them, because they all die. They're all dead apart from Domino. And then he kills the X-Men Origins version of Deadpool, which was also played by him (laughs) and was awful, which he does state just clearing up the timeline, which is, it's fair, you need to fix that. You need to fix that. And then he also kills Ryan Reynolds while he is reading the script for Green Lantern. I'm amazed they got away with that one because that's that's not theirs that's yes but that that is the most deserved moment in a film ever because i can tell you in 2011 i went to see green lantern and that's all i can tell you about it i went to see green lantern so, so what i can say about green lantern is if you're going to make a comic film a film that is liked by people who like comics and you make it so the final fight of the film is a good looking jock beating up a nerd in a wheelchair you've probably messed up I was just going to ask have you seen the other I think it's at the end of the credits so it's not in every single version no it's in the super duper cut which I don't think is as good as the original film but yes where he <laughs> basically kills baby Hitler yeah he made a throwaway joke about it earlier in the film and then yeah <laughs> goes, he goes back and you you want to talk about messing up the timeline man that's 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 gonna do it well even weirder than super duper cut are you aware of once upon a deadpool i am it's an interesting notion to recut the film to to a 15 (laughs) and do it through the framing device of deadpool kidnapping fred savage and reading it to him (laughs) as though it's the princess bride i like the idea i don't think you can take deadpool down to being what what was it in america a pg-13 yeah i don't think you can do that i don't think the way that they i'm not saying you can't make a Deadpool film that wouldn't work that way I'm saying you can't take this version of Deadpool and extract enough stuff to get it down to PG-13 and have something coherent well that again makes me think about you know as we're recording this there's all the excitement about the Snyder cut of Justice League from the DC Cinematic Universe there's the number of different cuts of Deadpool you know a number of the non-MCU Marvel properties have had various different cuts yeah. I think it's interesting you never hear anyone clamouring for alternative cuts of any MCU property even for the Dark World nobody's saying oh is there a better cut out there they're just kind of well it's not very good but it is what it is to be fair I would say there will probably people including us who say can we have a cut of Inhumans where somebody hits it with hammers and then sets fire to it which would be a marked improvement we could get 90 minutes of entertainment out of Inhumans but we're not here to relitigate the Inhumans people can go and listen to that episode if they want that's fine we've definitely said enough about it well the big thing here that I know you want to talk about I really want to talk about as well this x-force in here yes. <laughs> as you say the idea of bringing all these apart from domino they're not really major characters but all these characters together into a team and just dispensing with them immediately so you basically deadpool holds open auditions effectively for x-force so who, who does he get terry cruz as Bedlam. He's not a major character. He's a kind of a background character from what I remember. Uh, I can't even remember what his powers are. He's I think it's to do with EMP fields. Oh, right. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. There's Shatterstar, who was a big X Force character, who's an alien from Mojo World, which he does say in the film, who's good with swords and things. Although, as he says in the film, he is basically better than you at everything. Bill Skarsgård is a zeitgeist, who I don't recall from before this whose power is he can vomit acid brad pitt who is in the film for i've checked seven frames uh, (laughs) as vanisher basically every scene apart from his death he is just 
invisible. Did you know he was the first choice for Cable, but he couldn't do it? So that's why he's the Vanisher. I can believe that. That would potentially work, yeah. But yeah, it's a much bigger part. And Brolin's probably better for it, to be honest. He's a lot more grizzled than Pitt. And then finally, um, the final member of the team is, uh, is Rob Delaney as... Peter, who has no superpowers, he just has a moustache, and that's it. <laughs> that, that is it. And we've also got Domino, as I mentioned oh, yeah. before, who... <laughs> I forgot because she survives, that's why I forgot. And basically, they say here, I mean, her power technically is luck in the comics, but it's kind of rapid mental calculation and yeah. probability manipulation. Which is more Scarlet Witch's thing, technically, but yeah. But I do like that they don't... The temptation must obviously be big to make her like a kind of potential romantic replacement for Deborah pool and that doesn't happen at all nope not remotely sister figure in a way exactly that yes it is back and forth banter where she's just not having it just not not having it at all the sequence where she's the only one that survives and they're still arguing over whether luck is a superpower or not is a superbly shot bit where she just lands in the middle of traffic and nothing hits her cars are sort of crashing around her and flipping over her basically everything that she does just works as she wants it to but there's some hideous consequence for someone else. It's worth saying as well, the director of this was one of the directors on the first John Wick film and a former stunt coordinator and also the director of Atomic Blonde, which is what if we made a Bond film, but we cast Charlize Theron as Bond and is absolutely brilliant as well, in my opinion. So yeah, action sequences, this guy can 100% nail. Because it is, as well as being a great action film, I mean, like the first one, it is incredibly funny. One bit I particularly love is the running gag about thinking because as you say Black Tom Cassidy is when they're in the detention centre is in there Deadpool thinks that Cable is being racist about him and obviously you know he's a white guy <laughs> yes yes it is it is funny that it is like Black Tom Cassidy or White Wade Wilson shakes <laughs> <laughs> In the comics, he's Juggernaut's best mate, isn't he? That's presumably why they're both there. They don't do anything with him and he gets accidentally shot in the face. Well, it even went beyond the actual film itself because I didn't know this until recently. Apparently, they were offered an advert in the middle of the Super Bowl. Partly as a cost-cutting gesture, but they also thought this would be a great idea. Rather than do that, we use the official account for Deadpool to live-tweet the Super Bowl (laughs) and comment on his absence from the adverts. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty good. Which is good. But then do people take the joke a bit too far when they do things like the super duper cut once upon a Deadpool? Is that kind yeah, of not I, knowing where to leave it? Well, I think that's kind of the problem that Fox had towards the end was just trying to get money out of stuff that they'd already got on film because they knew that the acquisition was coming. And there was a few people, I think, that were you know near the top of the pyramid that were trying to cash out. I really hope that Marvel continue to let this be its own thing. If, it, if it's not allowed to interconnect with the MCU, I think that's okay because it didn't really interconnect with Fox's X-Men I mean like to the point where Deadpool's repeatedly joking about the fact that in the mansion you never see anyone other than their designated characters apart from one scene in the background for it <laughs> where all of the X-Men are stood there and Beast just closes the door so it's heavily implied that they're just avoiding Deadpool they have confirmed definitely that Deadpool 3 will be part of the MCU because this is one of the last X-Men stroke Marvel 
movies produced by Fox because yeah. everything's basically come into the MCU now and we're starting to see very interesting ways of them incorporating yeah. other things and some very interesting rumours as well and they have said it will be part of it how they fit it around it as you say is going to be another question but what I like is there are jokes in this about the Disney Fox buyout yes and apparently an actual reference to the sums involved was cut from the film <laughs> <laughs> no that, that was one joke too far I kind of hope they do keep him on the outside as well because I can't really see him working in a multiple team up environment for the very reason you know of the established structure of these films yeah the fact that they were planning an X-Force film without Deadpool and then a Deadpool 3 in a sort of Avengers Iron Man 3 sort of way that kind of makes sense because you can take the characters that have survived this and make them X-Force that's entertaining I don't know what you can do with this character with the established MCU characters I don't see how putting them together results in anything other than a series of half-assed jokes at the expense of the MCU characters followed by Deadpool being smoothed out to fit properly into the universe you know I can't see what else Marvel is likely to do with it if they don't kind of put it in its own corner like they did with the Netflix shows so Phil there's only one thing left for me to ask now Josh Brolin that plays Cable also plays Thanos in the Marvel Cinematic <laughs> Universe yes which is directly referenced in this yes do you think Cable is as good as Thanos that's an interesting one no I don't think he is I mean comic wise probably but in the films no Thanos is a compelling villain by the time they're done with him through the Infinity Stone saga Cable has not had enough to do yet other than be grumpy about dubstep so <laughs> well if we can't all be grumpy about dubstep what's the world coming to <laughs> Phil thank you and Excelsior Excelsior indeed If you've enjoyed this, don't forget you can find more editions of It's Good Except It Sucks and plenty more besides, including details of my book Can't Help Thinking About Me at timworthington.org.